1: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast. From KQED. This is Bay Curious. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Let's start today's episode in the 1940s. Thousands of people moved to the Bay Area to join the war effort. They've come for good-paying jobs, building and loading ships, working in our coastal defense, or fighting on the front lines. But when the war ends, all those soldiers fighting in the Pacific come flooding back into the area, and everyone needed a place to live. We had a big problem, one that's going to sound really familiar. There wasn't enough housing.
2: Six rooms deluxe plus garage, $8,000.
1: Most new housing developments, like Westlake and Daly City, only accepted white buyers.
2: $300 down payment for veterans includes closing costs and landscaping on all plans.
1: The thousands of Black Americans who had uprooted their lives to join the war effort had nowhere to go. But one suburban development was advertising something different.
2: presenting a home community for all Americans.
1: When it opened in 1950, Parchester Village in North Richmond advertised itself as an integrated community, the first of its kind in Richmond and one of very few in the region.
2: Parchester Village, California's newest suburban community with all the city advantages. Spacious lots with landscaped front yards, Choice of plan. Made up
1: of and a lock, few square oh, blocks tucked between Point Pinole Regional Park and the Richmond Parkway, this community had a chance to make history. Today on the show, we explore the promise and reality of one of the first neighborhoods intended for all Americans, regardless of race, to live together. Integration long before it was the law of the land. We'll be right back. Spanning just nine blocks, Parchester Village isn't a big place, but it holds an important slice of Bay Area history. Reporter Ariana Prail visited to learn why this corner of Richmond was ahead of its time and what happened to the promise of racially integrated housing.
3: You'd be hard-pressed to get lost in Parchester Village. There's a big loop road encircling the neighborhood of some 400 homes, like its own little bubble.
4: It felt like family, like a safe place, like coming home from school. You knew all your friends were going to be around the the neighborhood. They were all over the village. They were at the community center. But at night, you know, everybody's child went home. They knew when it got dark, it was time to go home.
3: A number of homes still have the original, unique flat-top roof design. There's two active churches, as well as a community center and park.
0: We were a progressive neighborhood. We really believed in community.
3: Walking around Parchester Village, you'll notice the streets sound like last names. Williams Drive, Bradford Drive, Jenkins Way. They are, in fact, the last names of ministers who are revered for brokering a deal with a local politician and a wealthy landowner to create quality housing for Black Americans.
2: It wasn't something given to them. It was because Black people had shown, had exercised their political muscle.
3: Dr. Shirley-Ann Moore is Professor Emerita of History at Cal State Sacramento. She wrote a book about the Black community's impact on Richmond before and after World War II. Many Black Americans left the South and moved to Richmond for jobs in the shipyards. When the war ended, the wartime housing projects where they lived were scheduled to be torn down.
2: The post-war period saw a real frenzy of building uh, communities and homes and developments all around in the suburban areas, etc. But those developments that were going up, they were restricted on a racial basis. You know, the city officials and city fathers and others were hoping that those Black newcomers, all newcomers, but Blacks especially, would go back to from where they come. But that wasn't the case.
3: No, it wasn't. the working-class Black community grew, becoming an influential political force in Richmond, a political force that was exercising its power not just in Richmond, but across the country, paving the road for the modern civil rights movement.
2: Those working-class Black people took the lead. People who had been presumed not to be aware of the political currents around them were really in the vanguard.
3: In 1949, a man named Reverend Guthrie Williams, a carpenter by trade, started organizing to end housing and workplace discrimination in Richmond. A self-described persistent cantankerous cuss, Williams created the Universal Nonpartisan League to help bridge the racial divide.
2: And he garnered a lot of support, you know, from those people living in the housing projects and they became very valuable voters And white politicians began to see that, too.
3: Amos Hinckley was one of those white politicians, a city council member running for re-election. He approached Reverend Williams and the League to support his campaign. Williams agreed, in exchange for Hinckley's commitment to create permanent housing for Black people. Now, Hinckley was backed by Fred Parr, a wealthy developer who was key in building the Richmond Terminal and Kaiser Shipyards. Parr brought lots of industry to the Bay Area, like the Ford Motor Company planned in Richmond, a real power player who owns land. So Hinkley, the politician, arranged a meeting between Parr, the influential man with the land, and Reverend Williams, the organizer.
2: And Reverend Williams told Mr. Parr, who owned a lot of land out in this area, along with Standard Oil, which is now Chevron, that we as blacks wanted to own our own homes, we wanted to have our own yards,
3: Isaiah Turner is a former Richmond city manager who passed away in 2021. He was interviewed in 2001 for a documentary on North Richmond. And they
2: agreed that if the ministers could help them sell the homes for this land out here that he owned, then he would support working with the Black community so we could buy these homes.
3: By the end of the meeting, Williams had a promise from Parr to back the housing development that would become Parchester Village.
0: We advertised uh, that this was an American community. That was our slogan.
3: That's John Parr Cox, Fred Parr's nephew, in a 1986 oral history interview. He says his uncle intended Parchester Village to be a place people of any race could buy a home. Heads up, he uses some outdated language in reference to people of Asian descent.
0: I would say 30% of the sales were to uh, Caucasians and uh, the rest were to... Black people or uh, Oriental people. Within a couple of years, the community changed completely to all Black. We uh, we did not intend it uh, for anybody except those able to purchase.
3: Historian Shirley Ann Moore says white flight was common at the time when white families fled neighborhoods where people of color were moving in. But some Black Richmondites held the more cynical view that Fred Parr never intended for an integrated community to work out.
2: it was merely an attempt by white politicians and power brokers in Richmond to maintain residential segregation while appearing to appease Black demands.
3: No matter the intentions of the white community, Reverend Williams, the cantankerous cuss, told a local newspaper that he wanted Parchester to be an all-American project, adding, quote, we hoped to set a standard of perfection and fair play in housing for the Bay Area.
2: The Black homeowners that moved there were, had every intention of moving into an integrated, open community, but seeing that that was not going to be the case, they didn't say, well, you know, a pox on it and we'll just wait until that comes along. They were eager, as so many people were, Black, white, or others were after the war, to to own their own homes, to get move out of those cramped and dilapidated wartime housing projects and break out on their own.
3: The dream of a racially integrated community didn't work out, but the Black folks who moved in still created something special. The political pressure Reverend Williams and others placed on city leaders to build Parchester Village was just the beginning of what became an active, organized neighborhood association that advocated on behalf of residents and supported a vibrant community known for its safety, high-achieving children, and regular block party barbecues.
0: My name is Garetha Johnson, and I'm from Richmond, California, but I've been a resident of Parchester Village for the last
3: 20 years now. I meet up with Ms. Johnson at her home to hear stories about her childhood in the village's early years. She's invited her friend from down the street, Lori Hart, who also grew up in Parchester, to join us. And they're showing me the utmost hospitality, laying out a full spread of juice, coffee, and food for the three of us.
0: My girlfriend can't help herself. You say a little bit of something and she gonna give you a variety. Why things. am I gonna
4: short us everybody else get this?
3: There's fresh pineapple, pastries, cheese and crackers, the rosemary kind.
0: I found some major Dickinson just for you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Their warmth reminds me of sitting around the table with my aunt or grandmother.
0: Help yourself. Let me grab
4: my coffee and I am ready.
3: After Ms. Hart blessed the food, Ms. Johnson starts telling me why her childhood in Parchester Village was so special.
0: In my growing up here, we were really self-contained. We had our own store, our own gas station, our own nightclub they would close off streets block and it would off. a block party and you would have like say like maybe on um, McLaughlin and Jenkins like the loop they would have all the meat and then on the streets in between you would have like the desserts and then you would have other streets that would do the sides so you would walk and eat all day long
4: this neighborhood you know I, you couldn't get me out of here i absolutely loved it mm-hmm. it was a place of safety Right. We never locked our doors. I remember um, one of my best friends, uh, Lorna King, we wanted
3: some Kool-Aid. Purple Kool-Aid, to be exact. But neither Ms. Hart nor her friend had any at their houses.
4: So I told her, I said, well, let's go to Pam's. And that's the lady that I babysat. So I opened the door. I said, Pam's got purple Kool-Aid. You know, so I went in there and I wrote a note. Lori and Lorna took purple Kool-Aid. That's the kind of neighborhood we lived in. You could walk into your neighbor's house, take something, leave a note, and it was fine.
0: The Neighborhood Council came about because Parchester didn't belong to San Pablo or Richmond. And so there were no streetlights. And from what I can understand, there weren't any sidewalks. And we had trouble with flooding out here. So there was a lot of infrastructure that wasn't taken care of. And so the homeowners got together and they petitioned the city.
3: Now remember, Parchester was built on an empty plot of land. In those first years as a community, the neighborhood council successfully lobbied the county to get services like streetlights and sewage through nearby San Pablo later residents wanted the village to be incorporated into richmond so they could access funding and infrastructure from a bigger city they got their way joining richmond in 1963 but didn't stop there
4: we used to be extremely politically involved and you know i remember he- hearing about how they would go down to the city council and mm-hmm. raise some cane mm-hmm. if something was not right And the council back then knew that Parchester had their back because they would call them up. I'm going to need you to come. Right. And they're like, oh, here comes them, them, them village. And they were coming.
3: For decades, Parchester residents fought for their community. Headlines from local papers highlight the many times they came out and made their voices heard.
4: Giant highway
1: traffic angers village groups. Councils fight
0: city hall. Groups keep Richmond officials hopping. Residents unite against roadside dumping.
1: And
3: perhaps the headline that encapsulates them all from the Independent and Gazette in 1980, the little village that could success thrives in bustling Parchester. Ms. Johnson again.
0: We were a community of many different professions because at that time they wouldn't allow black people to Um, buying other neighborhoods. So we had plumbers, you know, laborers, teachers, doctors. We had day laborers, construction workers, just everybody came together into one place. And so everybody took pride in their property. And it was anticipated and expected. You would be somebody growing up. I mean, you had the bookmobile. We were taught
4: and encouraged to read. And we were taught to respect one another. Mm -hmm. And I really wish in all the communities that some of that stuff would come back.
3: Changes started creeping into the community in the 1970s. With the collapse of suburban segregation, the village lost some of its original appeal. Black families looking to buy homes moved into suburbs around Richmond. And many of the local businesses had long since closed by the 80s which Ms. Johnson says were the worst years.
0: And when crack hit the 80s, that's when the the landscape really changed. It just kind of wiped through everybody's home. It's like everybody was touched with somebody who had got involved with that.
3: In the early 90s, the fatal drive-by shooting of a neighborhood teenager rocked the Parchester community. In response, the village reasserted its values, starting a youth association to give young people positive things to do. By the early 2000s, many original homeowners still called Parchester home, and the block party barbecues were still in effect. But it was becoming harder to hold on to that founding essence, and to homes.
4: When the parents started passing away, that just changed everything. The older generation Kids gave up their homes, you know, moved out. You know, the na- that's when the neighborhood start changing.
3: This is Charlesetta Pruitt, a former resident. Her family was one of the first to settle in Parchester Village. She left for a couple years as a young adult, but moved back to raise her family.
4: Once I got married, I came back. And, you know, it was still that community.
3: That tight knit, open door place she'd known as a kid. It was a
4: village that everybody's home was your home. You were cared about. They provided for you.
3: But as time went on and families grew up and out, that strong sense of community has waned. Ms. Pruitt eventually remarried and moved to Stockton. She held on to her Parchester house as long as she could, but eventually sold it. Still, the village remains close to her heart.
4: Parchester Village will live on, it will not ever be gone. It's always going to be home for me.
3: Ms. Pruitt's story reminds me of a line in a report from UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute, which says home is housing animated. It is where the people, experiences, objects, and memories that make up our day-to-day lives are knotted together with broader relationships to people, places, and moments. Home is where housing and belonging come together. Like any neighborhood, Parchester has changed over the years. High housing costs have pushed many Black families out of the Bay Area. Twenty years ago, Parchester was 80% Black. In 2020, the census showed it's now only 20% Black. And the folks who've moved in weren't part of the community's founding. They didn't fight to become incorporated. They don't remember the thrill of keeping the paving company out. The community knot that older residents remember has loosened a little.
4: I love when I see families out here. It just warms my heart when I see the kids. Mm -hmm.
3: The two friends I had breakfast with, Ms. Johnson and Ms. Hart, they still serve on the Parchester Village Neighborhood Council, They're proud that one of the last-standing original Parchester institutions, the Neighborhood Center, has recently been renovated. It has a new garden, and they refresh the mural that features young Black kids playing on grass under the words, Parchester Village touches the world. Ms. Hart has her sights on hosting a roller derby here.
0: We're looking
4: forward to that, trying to restore some of the glory of the old and just bring back some of the remembrance. I'm gonna get a roller derby out here if it's the last thing I gotta get on skates and I can't roller skate. I'm gonna get a roller derby out here because kids don't know what they're missing.
0: Right, right, they really don't.
1: That was reporter Ariana Prail, who discovered something fun while working on this story.
3: Yep, it just so happens longtime KQED announcer Michelle Hennigan.
4: I'm Michelle Hennigan. You're listening to KQED 88.5 San Francisco.
3: Grew up in Parchester Village and I got to meet her mother Maxine Hennigan who still lives there and attends neighborhood council meetings.
4: I think it's exciting to be part of that history and knowing that the neighborhood where I live is actually organized and spearheaded by
1: African-American people. We've got a lot of thank yous for this episode. First off, if you want to learn more about the Black community in Richmond, check out Shirley Ann Moore's book, To Place Our Deeds, The African-American Community in Richmond, California, 1910 to 1963. You can find a link to it in our show notes. Also, thanks to Richmond filmmaker Doug Harris for letting us use some clips from his documentary An Exploration of Our History, The Story of North Richmond. The Richmond Museum of History and Angela Cox at the Richmond Public Library were incredibly helpful, as was the UC Berkeley Bancroft Library Oral History Project, where we found John Parr Cox's interview. Our show is produced by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, and me, Olivia Allen-Price. Our social video intern is Darren Tu.
4: Bay Curious is produced at member-supported KQED in San Francisco.
1: I'm Olivia Allen-Price. Have a great week.
4: Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's Trivia Game? Okay, our question for the month is, The world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member